broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on Midtown Business Radio. Thanks for making us a part of your day again today. From wherever you may be listening, we appreciate you. Looking at our statistics, looks like we've been listened to in about 45 countries, uh, around 45 states. You folks up in the uh, Upper Plain states, you got to get with the bandwagon here. For some reason, the Dakotas still have held out. I don't know why. Uh, the Buffalo aren't listening to our show. Um, but uh, some folks from uh, around the country and indeed around the globe actually do come by and check out what we're doing here in the business-to-business space. And uh, I'm joined by a gentleman who has uh, come on the show before, but he's got some really cool things they talk about. He's uh, Stu Sheldon, and he is with Escalate. And they're a marketing company, but beyond marketing, they, they focus heavily on experiential marketing. And that kind of sets them apart uh, from some of the other companies out there that try to help a company or business uh, expand brand awareness because they really seek at Escalate to get you engaged and emotionally involved with a particular brand that they happen to be working with. They've got quite a list of success stories along the way. And in fact, uh, here in uh, March, we're going to sit down with Stu and one of their success stories that uh, has kept on working with them because they do such a good job for them. So Stu, uh, thanks for taking time to come all the way over here to the studio. It was a long track. An arduous journey. Yes. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Stu's office is about uh, 15 feet from our studio, so uh, his trip is pretty easy. <laughs> Let's talk about Escalate and what you're doing when you engage with a company. Talk about how you get somebody that either maybe they've heard of a of a brand or maybe they haven't, but how do you get them not only involved but begin you know, to form a bit of a, an emotional connection when they think of brand X. Yeah. So there are a couple parts to that. And the interesting thing about it is if you're a small business owner, say you own your own restaurant or you're a plumber and you and your sons have a plumbing business, much of what you'll talk about with me today will sound very natural. The, the challenge is when you get to be a larger organization, you get kind of too busy too self-important maybe to, to remember the basics. Mm-hmm. But really at its fundamental core, what experiential marketing is all about, unlike say paid advertising, which is about reach and about the quantity of eyeballs, experiential is about quality on a relative basis. And it's about how can an individual come in contact with my client's brand in a way that that individual can see, smell, taste, and touch in an environment that's important to that individual so that they will spend quality time with my client's brand. And when we in the experiential industry say quality time, we usually mean in the neighborhood of five to ten minutes or so uh, where that individual guest, the consumer, is learning more about the story behind our client's brand. Not just see the 30-second commercial and be aware of the fact that, you know, it's uh, it's a Snickers candy bar in the Super Bowl ad, um, but 
not knowing anything about that product other than the fact that, well, I apparently eat it and it apparently satisfies me and it's a Super Bowl sponsor. But other than that, I don't know anything about it. Snickers probably a bad example because most of us have probably had at least one in our lives. Well, but um, when you talk about the the caveat that you just mentioned, and that is most of us may have heard about it, but how much more powerful would it be if I actually knew something about their story that would make me actually want to say, dude, you should you should check it out. It was an interesting story, this interesting thing I learned or a cool thing I experienced as I, you know, got to uh, go to this event or whatever it may be. So, I mean, I can see where you're where you're going with regards to even when somebody is familiar with a name brand just because it's been around for a long time or they've got a lot of locations around the country, for example. Mm-hmm. Many people could be familiar, but not necessarily tied to it. Yeah. Um, and so I can see where you're talking about. There's a difference between just being aware and being engaged or emotionally engaged, more importantly, with a particular company or brand. Yes, exactly right. And to answer your specific question of a minute ago, according to research that was done a couple of years ago across North America, when it comes to what marketing contact points, what marketing experiences are most likely to get folks to purchase brands they don't normally purchase, Mm -hmm. right? So they're going outside of their normal consideration set. Right. The number one winner with about 52% of the results in the answer to that question is direct physical experience with the brand. 54%. Number two is a television ad that I enjoy, Mm -hmm. and that's at about 24%. So the literal answer to your question is almost twice. Okay. So if I can get somebody invested emotionally, it's twice as effective as if I can just make them see something and remember my name. Yes. And at the risk of offending your audience, that's fairly simple. If you're If you're an orange juice brand, like Simply Orange Juice, and you show people a television commercial about your brand, and you talk about the closest to the tree taste of your orange juice and how fresh it is, even though it's shelf-stable refrigerated, um, that gets that message across, but they don't really appreciate it. But when you hand them a bottle of simply orange juice and they open it and drink it and drink it again and drink it again, it comes to life. Now, something I'm kind of curious about, because at least it feels to me like there are either advertisers out there, I guess obviously they're coming up with the creative suggestions, but a company is evaluating the number of different proposals. This is where we think you should put the word out about your company. And Maybe I'm crotchety and and hard to please, what have you, but there are so many advertisements out there that are just, if my subjective opinion, very annoying, okay? And and I've I've heard it said, well, if you remember it, you know, if you remember it, then that's a good thing. That's 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 publicity. You you remember it. And 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 my counter to that as a prospective customer, I have actually had. I, I can't think of any names, and I wouldn't say so off uh, on the air, but I, I, I can't think of the example, but I've had numerous times where an advertiser was obnoxious with their advertisements, and I determined, 
at that point, if you're the only one, I'm not buying from you because you feel like if you aggravate me, I'll remember and come buy from you. That's to me, that's emotional engagement, but it's not the kind you want. Is that is that an, an element beyond C dub, or is that a component that companies that are thinking about trying to get the word out? I just want people to remember me. Is that a pitfall that somebody can go into if they're not careful, or is it just uh, C dub's crotchety old dude and you know just he's hard to please and. Well, let's separate the two. Okay. <laughs> I can't comment on the second one, but uh, I was at a international conference earlier this year, and the uh, director of customer experience for GoDaddy.com was one of the keynote speakers. And GoDaddy.com is a website hosting mm-hmm. uh service and it's primarily targeting small and medium-sized businesses. GoDaddy has been making their name in how they advertise right. through using um, scantily clad, uh, highly attractive, at least in this person's opinion, I would agree, uh, women <laughs> placed in um, what originally appears to be a business-esque situation and then kind of spirals out of control and right. turns into a, an oops moment. Yes. Uh, and they're famous for buying Super Bowl advertising, right. but then getting told they can't run their advertising because so it's... So people will rush to the web to watch the ad. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes. Not uh, that I've ever done that. No, but what <laughs> what's interesting is from that case study, uh, what they found was that since they started their risque Super Bowl advertising in 2005, which was inspired, according to uh, Noreen Thurston from GoDaddy.com, was inspired by the Janet Jackson wardrobe malfunction in 2004. I didn't know that. That's pretty kind of a cool uh, tidbit. Well, that's the story she told. Oh. Uh, I, I assume it's true, okay. right? I have no reason not to doubt her. Uh, but they have seen significantly strong, sustained increases in awareness. So, good news, we're buying lots of eyeballs with the Super Bowl. I think they had 115 million people watch the Super Bowl this year, all-time high. Um, so they're getting 100 million plus people a year to see their spot potentially. Mm-hmm. But what they found when they dug down underneath it was that because of the nature of the advertising that they were running, yeah. they had managed to alienate their core market, which is, wait for it, small businesses. Small businesses, 60% of small businesses are owned by women. So, if you're making a nudity joke with hot women in it, and your largest customer base is women who own small businesses and therefore are making buy-no-buy decisions, you've created a problem for yourself, even though at the dashboard level, awareness is great, awareness is great, awareness is great. But to your point... What kind of awareness are we generating okay. and with whom? So I'm not alone, sounds like. Sounds you're like you're not alone. And, and as a matter of fact, the, the, the more important part of the, of the presentation from Ms. Thurston was talking about how they were now, are, are now changing 
their entire approach to their advertising creative in order to better connect with the small business owner who is 60% uh, of the time is a woman. And I would imagine, at least with me as a consumer, if you kind of regroup, change change directions a little bit, say using this example, say GoDaddy decides, wow, we, we need to revamp our direction. We need to be more inclusive with regards to our audience and understand that uh, Mrs. Business Owner may not be as thrilled by a particular NASCAR driver walking around scantily closed in an oops situation. Um, I mean, from my perspective, the, the same spokesperson that they're using could be amazingly powerful for the audience that they really do need to reach. If 60% of them are women and they are professionals who are motivated and competitive and they're, they're uh, a woman in a man's world, if that's what you want to say, mm-hmm. uh, what a great spokesperson to have. Uh, I guess just repackaging it a little bit uh, in, in a way to take advantage of the fact that uh, here's yet another example of a woman who is doing a great job in a place where no one thought a woman would ever survive and, and thrive, and, and yet here she is getting progressively better and more competitive every year, leading laps and, and so forth. I, I would know this because I do follow NASCAR a little bit, so I, re- I respected their choice of uh, spokespeople for their brand. But I, I, I'm intrigued to know, uh, particularly that's a huge scale. Uh, you know, I hear the ads that tend to aggravate me the most out of local advertisers more, more often than not. Um, if you're if you're a car dealership and you want to scream at me, I'm probably <laughs> not going to buy from you, even if the brand that you're selling is one that I would be interested in. You know what I'm saying? There, there's something about that for me that if you if you want to treat me as as though I'm that goofy or easily entertained, uh, I'm probably not going to buy. So that's an interesting observation, and it reminds me of a marketing axiom that I've heard. I don't know where to attribute it. But I have always heard that if you are the owner or the lead personality of your business, there's almost never a good time for you to become the advertising face of your business. Interesting. Uh, we see that a lot in that particular space. Yeah. So, uh, and really, the, the example that I saw and, and was talked about that did work was Dave Thomas of Wendy's. Yeah. And that was one where it worked. Yeah, you felt but, like your your uncle, yeah, you know, Uncle yeah. Dave. But generally speaking, you don't want to do that. Now, the, the corollary to that, uh, my wife used to sell local radio in Charlotte and, and then in Atlanta. And the number one lever they had in order to convince a small business owner to advertise on radio was to show them sales results from a competitor or a, or a similar business who did advertise on their station. Mm-hmm. The number two most effective lever they had was to get them excited about appearing in the radio spots themselves. Mm-hmm. Because we're all human at the end of the day, right. and we all love some spotlight. Sure. And I can understand that. Um, As a guy with a face for radio, you that's can understand right. that. That's yes. right, and, and, and the voice for print. Yes. Yeah. Um, for sure. I, I, I could certainly f- 
follow the logic and, and the interest on somebody's part to, to be a part of their advertisement. And, and, and I can even understand some of the thinking. Nobody's going to be more passionate about it than me. Um, I have to say that in that particular space, if I'm going to be Mr. Critique, and in this case, since I own the mic, I, I can. Uh, it, don't the, the ones that are professional about their message, I don't have a problem with the owner telling me that. Um, but when you get all kitschy and goofy, I just feel like, dude, is that... Is that what you think I am? I, I, I guess I guess I'm not your guy. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess it is a, a bit of a slippery slope, and you do have to be careful about what you go with when it comes to trying to get someone to pay attention. Because just because you make somebody laugh or or so forth, as we've talked about earlier, uh, using the example of the GoDaddy ads that kind of got everybody talking, that just because you make somebody laugh doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come buy your product or tell somebody they ought to. Yes, exactly right. And one of the next sort of logical topics would be, okay, what sort of business objectives make the most sense for experiential? Yeah, I was wanting to ask you about that. What's the picture look like for who should consider it? Yeah. So uh, the way we think about client objectives at Escalate is in two buckets, Bucket number one is about the brand, and bucket number two is about the business. So the brand bucket are going to be objectives like favorite brand or unaided awareness or recall. Some people call that recall. Or is a brand for me or is worth what I pay for it? And then business is going to be objectives that might include uh, purchase or repeat purchase or frequency of purchase or quantity of purchase. So when McDonald's gets you to buy a super value meal, their objective there is they they want the the size of your purchase to go up. They're they're trying to drive a higher dollar transaction per person. Um, if a that's counterintuitive, but it works. I yeah. think this is it, like the ten for ten dollars at a particular grocery store. Yes, you don't have to buy ten, but it's planted in your mind and you grab ten. Yes, and and <laughs> especially in the beverage industry, which is one of the primary users of that ten for ten type right. of tactic, mm-hmm. the refrigerator is the most efficient vending machine in the world. Yeah. Nirvana for a beverage brand is to get their products in your refrigerator. When I worked at Coca-Cola here in Atlanta and I was running the Mellow Yellow brand, we were the first brand to launch a 12-pack configuration called the fridge pack. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Which instead of being uh, <laughs> three stacks of four that yep. didn't really fit in the fridge. That was a heck of an innovation. Now you were part of that? I, it did not, I did not come up with the idea. Okay. Uh, but one your of, brand was one of the first to, to launch it. Uh, we were the first one to launch it in the United States. Yes. And, and we were the test for it. And Dude, everybody does it. Yes. And I will admit to you, I don't remember the exact numbers, but when we launched that package and did our testing on it, we found that because more people put the entire 12-pack in their fridge <laughs> instead of just three or four cans, 
the velocity. I was going to say it must go fast. Then it, it's right it there. It went it's cold. up sixty percent. Wow! So you're selling uh, half again as much Mellow Yellow as you were the month prior. No change in price. No change in messaging or anything else. All you did <laughs> was come up with offer a. This is the way the brand geek in me would talk about it, right? Mm. We offered a packaging format that better met the needs of the consumer. Mm -hmm. But if you can get that product in the fridge, then people open the fridge, they're thirsty, bang, there it is. And it's already cold, mm -hmm. it's, it's good to go, mm -hmm. and oh, I finished that one fast, so wow, I'll just have another. Yeah, which is kind of how you handle your Coke Zero, I think, right? Uh, it is, yeah. it is, yes, as a matter of fact. Yeah, another market placement uh, here at at Midtown Business Radio, C-Dub is a huge consumer of a particular brand here lately. So those are the two buckets, brand yeah. and business. In brand, the first bucket, uh, objectives that experiential works well for are awareness. We'll talk about that more in a, a minute because it sounds a little counterintuitive because we were just talking about television related to awareness. Awareness, preference, brand preference, recommendation, advocacy, right? And, and equity, for example, uh, is a brand for me and my friends is worth what it pay for it, or they understand the intrinsic or extrinsic benefits of using your product, using your, your, your product. On the business side, uh, we, we talked a little bit about that, but it could be you're trying to drive trial, you're trying to drive retrial, you want to drive purchase or you want to drive velocity, which is what led us into that conversation about the fridge pack. So those are the objectives that make the most sense for experiential. Now, as it relates to your, your business, do you find I'm, – I'm curious to know which way it's happening more. Is a company calling you? I'm sure that somebody who knows somebody that had a successful engagement with Escalate would – call you and say, hey, I, I'm a colleague of so-and-so. I'm interested in knowing about what you do. That's one thing. But but I mean, how often is a company seeking you out um, versus someone from within Escalate calling on a business to say, hey, I, I know that you're investing money in trying to create brand awareness. Here's why we think that at least a conversation with us would be worthwhile because if you're going to invest money in that brand awareness effort, here's why we believe that we can make it go faster, farther, and, and achieve your goals, you know, and and make the ROI what you would hope it would be. Do you, what what happens more? You're you're calling them to say, hey, think about Escalate, versus the company saying, hey, Escalate, I saw you on the internet, I heard this radio show, whatever it may be. So as much as I would love to say that our phones ring off the hook with unsolicited requests for uh, new clients mm -hmm. to come on board, that's not the reality. Uh, we, do, do, we do get those calls. Yeah. Um, we, we look at our sources of new business on an annual basis, and about 15% of our new business opportunities come unsolicited. So I saw you in the event marketer guidebook. Sure. I saw you, uh, you know, I heard you on Business X, etc., mm -hmm. uh, Business Radio X. But the majority of our business comes from us proactively calling. Mm -hmm. However, 
we try to avoid cold calling as much as possible. So, for example, I talk to one of our long-term clients and I ask them, who do you know that, based on your experience with us and knowing how we work, do you think would be a great sure. potential new client for yeah. Escalate? And they give me a name, and I say, would you please introduce me? Okay. And the biggest reason why I asked that question, it wasn't really loaded. It was really thinking about um, the fact that as I meet executives and experts from a variety of verticals that have all kinds of solutions aimed at businesses, because that's who we serve here is the business-to-business community. And really without fail, whether it comes from the marketing space or software as a service or consulting, you name it, um, while they all come with a cost associated with their product or service, if you're in the B2B space, that means you're solving a problem. You're, you're, you're either driving efficiency, you're, you're helping a company to accelerate the, 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 the velocity as, uh, in, in your terms um, of their business. So it, it's interesting to me that so many, I, I guess it's because we get in and we start, um, we're running our business, we're doing our business things, and we don't really necessarily have time to stop and, and think about things unless it's just a crazy problem that I've just got to fix this. My lack of automation for my invoices, I can't ever keep up. I've got to get that fixed. So maybe you'll reach out. But I mean, it's, it's an interesting dilemma uh, when you have a, a solution that has demonstrated value. Um, a long list of happy clients, um, how, how challenging it can be to engage with that business owner you know you could, you could help. So I was just kind of yeah. curious how, how often you encounter somebody who actually knows they have a problem or knows that there's a better way to engage their customer they're trying to reach. So most every time we get a, an opportunity to meet with a potential new client, they know that they have an objective that is probably one of the ones we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, they're in one of two mental camps. Camp number one is, I'm not sure which marketing lever or levers I should be pulling in order to address this challenge that I have. That's mindset number one. Mindset number two is, I know through experience that I need to be pulling the experiential lever because I know through my business analysis that once someone tries my product, I have a 70% repeat purchase rate, which is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But my problem is not enough people are trying me. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on what agency you have sitting across the table from you, their, their answers will be similar in that they will say, well, then you need more people to try your product for the first time. Right. That's a duh. But where the differentiation starts to kick in is how do you do that tactic? Yeah, just because you ask somebody. I mean, I, I've walked by people in the grocery store or out in the world, hey, try my product. No, thank you. Uh, you know, I say no to that free offer frequently. So it's not just necessarily walking out there with a, a sample of a product and saying, try my product. There's, there's some strategy to that, that that would make me stop and actually do so when I wouldn't have otherwise. And the number one driver of that decision 
CW is going to be what's the engagement level of your product. So, for example, if you have a relatively low engagement product like a soft drink, it's delicious and refreshing, of course, <laughs> but it's it costs a buck or two, and it's readily available in lots of different places. So it's not a purchase decision that you spend a lot of time considering. Mm-hmm. So it's not a negative. Mm-hmm. It's just a low engagement category. Right. High engagement categories, financial services, automotive, those sorts of purchases are high engagement because it's usually very big ticket financially. It's, it's an expense that you are likely not going to incur on a regular basis. You, you might buy a new car every four, five, ten years. Right. So it's a very highly involved, very high engagement uh, purchase decision. And so for those types of decisions, you want to, in the Escalate vernacular, we talk about a dial, and you, you want to turn your dial towards engagement, towards effectiveness. Whereas if you're a Coca-Cola brand or a um, Pepsi-Cola brand, you want to turn the dial more towards efficiency, where maybe you're not getting quite to the point of just handing out cans or cups of your beverage as fast as you possibly can. Maybe you don't want to go all the way there, but you want to be closer to that most of the time than when you are trying to sell a car and you want someone to really spend a good 20 or 30 minutes really understanding what your proposition is all about for that car. Mm -hmm. We've been talking with Stu Sheldon from Escalate. They're experts in experiential marketing, getting your customer or prospective customers out there to become invested emotionally in your brand and uh, therefore being more likely to come back and also, if not more importantly, say to somebody else, hey, good friend, you should try this out. It's awesome because I loved it, and here's what I felt, saw, tasted, whatever. It was fantastic. you got to check it out. So I can have the, the wonderful feeling of having shared this awesome experience with one of my friends who now gets to, to experience it too. So I can see where it's, it's got its power. Can you, can you illuminate... For our listener who's, in, in all likelihood, some sort of a business person, who needs to be thinking about experiential marketing? Um, is there a floor with regards to, I don't know if this is the forum for it or not, but is there a floor in terms of uh, investment level that someone needs to think about? Below this, you, you, you need to be thinking about these concepts, but engaging somebody may be out of reach. Is there is there kind of a I don't know, for lack of a better, uh, just, a, you know, in that case, a floor or a space, uh, a set of verticals that if they're thinking about investing monies in marketing efforts, that it clearly makes sense to be here so that if they're listening, we, we know that they can think, oh, geez, yeah, in fact, we're getting ready to do a board meeting coming up. We need to be thinking about these guys. Bring them in. Yes. So I, I think there are a couple of product types that traditionally have led the way, if you will, in use of experiential. And the way we talk about those with our clients are anything you put in your mouth or anything that goes directly on your body. So any sort of food or beverage, alcoholic, non-alcoholic, anything like that, definitely experiential makes sense. Now, experiential from a financial perspective 
could cost you if, let's say, you own the Chinese restaurant in the shopping mall. It could cost you nothing more than the hourly employee standing in the walkway outside your restaurant with a platter with some uh, hors d'oeuvre size servings with toothpicks. You've seen it, right? Right, yeah. And they offer you to try it. So it's the cost of the product and the cost of the employee. Sure. So that might be costing you 40 or $50 an hour. Total, total, total. Right, right. Um, and that may be, uh, that may be high. That's probably high, yeah. yeah. But what you have is some people, like crotchety CW walking by and saying, <laughs> no, thank you, or just plain <laughs> ignoring you. Uh, and, but I would bet that more often than not, so let's say 50% of the time, they will stop and you will explain to them the three or four different items you have on the tray and uh, they'll pick one and they'll taste it. And then you'll take their dirty toothpick and they sometimes will ask you if they could try another one. And you say, sure. And you may give them a coupon, you may give them a menu, something like that to remind them or to drive them back. But that is how simple it can be done and how inexpensively it can okay. be done. So the little guy can do experiential marketing on a certain scale. And, and, and absolutely should be. And at the higher end of the scale is a client of ours who was written up in Fast Company magazine a couple months ago. We, they're, they're a food company. We run a fleet of food trucks around the country and, and Canada, uh, eight of them. And these food trucks are passing out appetizer-sized samples of their food product. And they're, we're doing it about 30 weeks out of the year in dozens of markets. And it's several million dollars. But they measure our project. And measurement is maybe a topic for another time. Mm -hmm. But they measure our project and they know that if they look at their business over the next 12 months, every dollar they pay us to hand out samples of their food will bring back about $1.60 in new revenue. And then you can ladder on top of that the brand, the increased brand awareness and brand health that our food truck generates as it's on site and it's rolling down the road and our staff and et cetera, et cetera. So it's really more like $2 for every dollar. Mm -hmm. And do you get to that for the skeptic out there that uh, is a new company and you're sitting down with them and you're just you know, introducing them to what you do? How, how do you get to that? Um, is that just from previous previous engagements? This is what we did. You're, I mean, using that logic that we had earlier, I mean, at some point you're going to have to do some measure of comparison uh, apples to apples as much as possible just to show, well, this is this is someone in the same space. This is what they were trying to do. This is what we did, and this is the ROI. I mean, does yeah. that have value? I mean, it's not just uh, braggadociousness or anything like that. There is actual value in trying to determine, do I spend my money here? Yes, and the great thing about that example I just gave you with the fleet of food trucks is we started out with them doing one weekend Okay, so you gave them a bit of a, a taste. You showed them, hey, this is what we would hey, plan that was, to do. That's a pun. Hey, yeah, see? Don't, don't blink, ah, folks. You missed it, it. I mean, it flows naturally. Um, so, so you were able to give them a toe in the pool. Mm -hmm. This is what will happen. This is how we go about what we're going to do. You can measure the results around this one little spot. And that's exactly what we did. It was, again, going back to the Escalate dial. 
what we did that first weekend was very focused on efficiency. It was a small team of people with a small push cart passing out single-serve refrigerated samples of their food product. And we did two days at a food festival in New Jersey, and it cost $20,000. And they saw a significant increase in velocity or, or sales in existing accounts within a 10-mile radius of that event. And so the way they measured it then from a data perspective, how do we, how do we gauge it? They were looking at inventory restocking, if you will, that their, their accounts in that area were saying, I'm, I'm sold out, I got to get more, and, and in fact, send me two boxes instead of my usual one because people are going crazy over it. That kind it, of the that's, sw- that's exactly right. And, and again, if you're, if you're the owner of that Chinese restaurant in the mall, if you are sampling lunch item number five, then you should probably have ordered extra raw materials that it takes to make lunch order number five for two reasons. One, you're passing it out. And two, if you're sampling lunch item number five, odds are <laughs> you're going to sell more of right, lunch item right. number five. Yeah. And the worst thing you could do, <laughs> some would say, is to generate excitement and then not be able to fulfill. And punch them in the gut with, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm all out. Yeah. And and I can see where some would think that that's a good thing. See, we sold, it's so yummy that that we sold out, but at the same time, I inconvenienced you. I got you, there, there's now not just a ambivalent, I'm not familiar with you, now now I'm bummed out <laughs> because because I interacted with you. You got me all fired up with this toothpick thing, <laughs> and now I can't have my lunch. I got to go over here and have a taco. The, the, <laughs> the interesting corollary to that, you're exactly right the vast majority of the time, but also scarcity creates demand. And so there are a couple of restaurants around here who are famous for their hamburgers mm-hmm. at yep. lunchtime. Yep. And there's one of them that only sells a certain number of hamburgers every day. And they start selling them, I think, at 11, 15 a.m. And they usually last until about 11.47. That's so, the, the, but, you know, in that kind of case, that's... That's going the other direction with it. Yes. That's, now that's exclusivity. Yes. Um, and that's me getting there to make sure I'm a part of the experience, and that's what I'm expecting. That's the game. Uh, but does the person who doesn't get the burger leave? Probably not. They, they absolutely do not. They leave. Uh, they they take. They order something else. Dang, we didn't get it, but it, yes. we'll come back next time. Yes. But here's the magic in the whole thing. They start serving it at 11.15. Go sit in any lunch restaurant you know of. And sit down at 11 o'clock. It's empty. And it stays empty until about uh, 10, 5 till 12. And then it starts to pick up a little bit. By 12.30, it's jumping. 1 o'clock, still jumping. 1.30, noticeable slowdown, but still selling. 2 o'clock, dead. So what have these guys done? They've increased their prime selling window by about 30%. Yeah, and they, and they kind of hijacked it. Too because they they got everybody thinking we're gonna go to lunch but we got to get there early 
and now they've just preempted the other options by doing that. Now, yes. are, are you limited in terms of who should think about that kind of a strategy? Is that difficult to create? Obviously, you have to deliver on a product that's that makes it worthwhile, mm-hmm. the gamification piece of things, yes. competing to get one of the few offerings. But, I mean, provided that you're putting a good product out, is there clearly a food space would be a great place, but are there other, other businesses out there that can take advantage of doing something like that? You can do that sort of promotion, for lack of a better word, I would think almost regardless of your category. For example, if you're in the residential heating and cooling business, you get a spike of people who need their air conditioners serviced when it starts to get hot. And you get a spike of people who need to get their uh, furnace serviced when it gets really cold. But if you run some sort of a special a little bit in advance of those, A, you create more capacity for yourself during the peak period. B, you're capturing more revenue earlier when it's less competition by making a special offer. Now, the skeptic in me doesn't really believe that it's actually limited. Do you think it's – is there a way to – do the gamification thing so that people can actually see. Like in the restaurant example that you used, I know when they run out, they're out. I'm, I'm right here. I'm watching them pull them out. Mm-hmm. Um, in a situation like that, I mean, is there is there some way that that folk that the, the business demonstrates to them that supplies are limited and now it's down to here, you better act act fast, or do they just do it where from now till Friday and after Friday, sorry, the, that special's over. Is that how you handle it? When I listen to you ask that question, I think of the Home Shopping Network. And yeah. I think of right. them it's showing down. an item, <laughs> and there's a digital clock, yep. and there's a quantity counter. Yeah. And the digital clock consistently ticks off the seconds. And the quantity counter, theoretically, yes. is ticking off every time an order is confirmed. So yeah. it doesn't move regularly, but it, it, it right. moves. I have no idea if that's actually true or not. But I do have a friend whose product has been sold on a uh, shopping channel on several different occasions. And she tells me that that's an actual thing, that the, the, whether it's home shopping channel or QVC, you name it, they have very clear algorithms on how they're gonna price your product, how long it's gonna be on, what they're gonna say about it, um, the duration of the offer, and the quantity that they're going to offer. Mm-hmm. Very calculated. And so I believe that that quantity counter is accurate and that it does sell out. And I will admit to you that I don't watch enough home shopping channel yeah, you and me both. programming to know the end of the story. Um, but, but I believe that that's true. And sticking with the uh, HVAC guys, you could say, you know, this offer limited to the first 100 customers. Uh, then you, of course, if you're going to actually do that, then you have to keep track of who's calling. And, and it's sort of like winners on the radio station, right? Hi, you're mm-hmm. caller 97. Yeah. Hi, you're caller 98. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking yeah. as you were saying that. I'm like, well, if, if I were calling to inquire about it, you're, oh, you're customer number 75 on that offer. Um, that might inspire me to turn around and tell my friend, hey, there's a few left. You might actually be able to do something if that's an element. I don't think it is. I don't, I've never really... I don't know. I don't know how often I'd have to look back and 
try to think if I've been really motivated by that type of sales approach, but I know it does work just like you've talked about. I mean, it's generated a lot of velocity, a lot of volume by offering something like that, that one can't get any other time. So I can take advantage of it in a limited time. Clearly it works on some level, but uh, I wonder if you can push it up by truly letting somebody know where they stand so that they can maybe involve someone else. I don't know. I, I would, I would think you're right. Um, but going back full circle to kind of summarize uh, back to your question, I can't think of a product or service that couldn't use experiential marketing to increase their business and brand results. The challenge is in how, based on my business model and my service or product category, how can I go about doing that and how can I f afford to pay for it? Let me give you an example. If you're a liquor brand, the Vixen Vodka, mm -hmm. right? You had them on your show a couple yeah. months ago. They cannot just walk up and down the street handing out free samples of Vixen Vodka. Exactly how they're able to get people to try their product varies state by state. Yep. But most of what they will do will fall into two buckets. And one is off-premise, and that's basically in the liquor store. What sort of point of sale or offer are you doing there? Uh, but then there's on-premise, and on-premise is where the experience can be brought to life some more. That's in a location that's allowed to sell single servings of alcoholic beverages on premise. Yeah, we need to get them to the Business Radio X mixer that's coming up on April 23rd. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And so then that's an opportunity for the brand to tell its story in a more involved way. And the traditional model on that is to have, uh, we've gone full circle to GoDaddy.com, to, to have beautiful, scantily clad women, and depending on your brand, how, how classy or not they are scantily clad varies. And they're going in the bar, and depending on the state's laws, they're either buying a drink for everyone or encouraging patrons to buy a drink special sure. made off of their products. So Jack Daniels and Mellow Yellow stirred with a butter knife because that's important <laughs> is called a yellow jacket i did not know that yes um yellow jack yellow jacket and so if you're trying to get um, young adult males to drink more mellow yellow then you could do an on-premise program where you have a drink special on yellow jackets and you have staff working, not the bar's staff, but your own staff, uh, working each bar for maybe 30 minutes apiece and then getting in the car and driving somewhere else and going all night long, raising awareness of how great a yellow jacket tastes. We've been talking with Stu Sheldon from Escalate, the experiential marketing experts that will help your brand get your customers and prospective customers out there familiar with your brand and engage in it in an emotional way, making them more likely to be able to evangelize on your behalf and also come back and buy more and more and more, which is obviously what we want. And before we run out of time, as it relates to 
escalate. Um, and, and this is just a measure of ignorance because it may be a duh, but uh, when a customer comes to you for an experiential marketing campaign or you've introduced yourself to them and they say yes, my assumption is yes, we do, but as it relates to the creative around a given campaign, does the is that a a piece that you handle where you're coming up with this is where we're going to portray your brand or is it more of a they've engaged typically with a, I don't know how the how it's the vertical is uh, stratified with regards to someone coming up with this is the this is the flash and and the look and feel of a brand from a picture kind of perspective mm-hmm. and you come in and say okay well this is how we're going to bring that to life or do you say here are the ways that we see creatively that we recommend you do this. Which one would you choose? How, how does it work? So the answer is both. Okay. Uh, we, we get both. And you, to go with the, the example you were focusing on, a number of our clients come to us with an existing creative concept that usually comes from the advertising agency. Right. I talked earlier about Simply Orange Juice. Mm-hmm. And their tagline for several years was closest to the tree. Mm-hmm. And so they already had the storyboards for their TV creative, and they knew the markets in which they were going to buy advertising space, uh, radio, out of home, TV, digital, et cetera, to promote and air that content. Okay. And so they said to us, knowing this is our creative space, and knowing these are the markets in which we're going to be airing that creative, h- how will you bring it to life in a way that will complement what we're doing? And so we came up with a experience that came out of a truck and w- had um, trees, real trees, and we had uh, crates of real fruit Real orange juice, they do orange juice and apple juice and cranberry juice. So we had real trees, real fruit every day, and and um, some teak furniture where you could sit down if you wanted to, and uh, if it was sunny, there was an umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, but we created a space that visually reinforced the freshness angle and the closeness to the tree, and then also created a place if you wanted to, you could physically sit down and enjoy the product, or you could take it and and move on. And that's cool. Now, was it the ad agency that that said, "Help us bring this piece to life," or was that the 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 manufacturer of the product? In that case, it was the brand team. Okay. So our client was the brand team. Okay. Just like the ad agency's okay. client was a brand team, but about five percent of our business, and it's been as high as twenty percent of our business, has come through ad agencies. And I asked that question for a couple of reasons. One, I'm sure that somebody listening that's, just like you said, they've already engaged an ad agency. The ad agency has done a nice job with producing some creative options for them to you know, bring their brand to life with regards to how it's packaged and what it looks like when you're you know, seeing XYZ product. But um, I, I asked that so that the, that, that consumer, that business out there that does have some creative already in the works that doesn't necessarily bring it to life and that doesn't necessarily make the customer engage in it. It looks pretty, but it may just look pretty sitting on the shelf. It doesn't mean it's going to walk out the doors. So you bring an extra layer of, of 
expertise and engagement beyond just what it looks like and just beyond what an advertisement looks like on television or sounds like on a radio. Yes. And back to that simply example, uh, we saw that b- because the client measured it uh, using a, a research company, we found that in the markets where they ran all their advertising and they had us, awareness was 10 percentage points higher. There were uh, purchase was 40% higher and future purchase intent was 65% higher. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, think about that. If you're, if you're a business out there that is wrestling with how do we make more people engage with us, stay with us, tell people about us, it's not just about having a good firm produce a nice looking campaign for you. And just based on what you were telling me that even the ad agencies out there that come up with some fantastic creative ideas for look and feel of a, of a, you know, how somebody advertises, um, that even the ad agencies don't necessarily focus on the experience of how do you pull that person into, to give it a try? How do you pull that person? And certainly flashing something up that makes me stop and take a look, maybe go, ooh, oh, that's a really nice looking ad. That's one element of it, but that doesn't necessarily pull me in and make me stop what I'm doing and go, wow, that was awesome. And uh, I think that that's kind of cool to be able to tease that out and, and illustrate that there is a difference, that that, uh, that there is something more that you can do. And particularly if uh, you're investing funds and trying to raise awareness about your brand, that thinking about what is my customer experiencing, what is my customer to be experiencing as they get to know us, um, gives them a much more likelihood of bringing them back. Do I have one more minute to give a recommendation to the small business owner who can't afford it? Dude, thank you for teeing that up because I've always wanted to use this at just the right moment for you, Stu. I got five. Five? I'll, I'll move. <laughs> I'll use less than five, Alex. American and Beauty. Then, yes. And, and I'll, I'll hand it back. So here's the simple man's version of a planning model, proprietary planning model we have called concentric circles. Okay. And here's how you would do it if you're the guy who owns that one Chinese restaurant. You would take a piece of 8.5 by 11 paper, and you would lay it out in front of you, and in dead center, about the size of a quarter, you would, buy a cir- you would draw a circle. And then you would draw another circle about the size of, say, a small tortilla around that, and you would keep drawing three or four concentrically larger circles. Mm -hmm. And then what you would do is you would say, okay, each level of that circle represents a different distance from my core proposition. And what is my core proposition? All right, I own a Chinese restaurant. So it's when I put that food down in front of them and they take that first bite and when they take the 10th bite and when they finish the plate, that's my core experience, right? So in that center circle is going to be your core experience. And then what you do is you go to the outermost ring of your concentric circles, the biggest one, and you say, okay, this is my furthest touch point. And depending on your budget, it might be a Yellow Pages ad, it might be a radio spot, or it might be the sign above your restaurant at the strip mall. Okay. Right? And what you want to do is planfully work your way in Mm -hmm. from the outer ring as though you were the consumer. 
take yourself on a first-person journey. Drink it in with your eyes, your ears, yep. make you want to take a closer look. And what you want to do is, at each point, you want to ask yourself, what's the key thought that I want the individual to have? So, for example, your first concentric circle, your largest one, might be, huh, I wonder what that is. I want to learn more about it. Second concentric circle is, oh, okay, now I understand what it is. I want to experience it. And then the innermost circle might be uh, the actual experience itself. Right, and you'll probably have more than three, but I just wanted to, mm -hmm. to simply summarize those. Well, so, for example, for Coca-Cola as a client or for a big food company as a client, we're thinking uh, if there is this TV advertisement, we're linking to that, and that's the outermost. But then if we're showing up at, say, a shopping mall with an experience that's going to be there for the entire weekend, what are we doing from the curb of that shopping mall in – in order to get people who are walking in every door of the shopping mall to know that we're there. They may not know exactly what we are, but they know that we're there. Stop and gawk at it. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, so, oh, I'm not exactly sure what that is, but I'm going to walk by and check it out. And right. I'm clear on where it is. Yep. And it's not exactly on my way, but it's oh, 50 feet out of the way. <laughs> so I'm willing. Yeah. Right? And then as they get closer, there's more surprise and delight until they actually get there. So it's kind of the, 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 the slow reveal, the dance of the seven veils, right? Well, I always enjoy having you on the show, Stu, uh, talking about the, the way that you help companies and brands uh, engage their customers. Um, you make an hour go by really quickly. So I look forward to sitting down with you uh, here in a few weeks when you come back with one of your clients from the marketplace who can talk about their experience um, with your experiential marketing expertise here at Escalate. So, Stu Sheldon, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to educate our business listeners on the different ways and different things that they can think about as it relates to trying to get people invested in their brand, not just aware of it, but actually engaged and emotional about it, which clearly we've shown um, is two different levels. So thanks for making time out of your busy day. I know you're uh, on the go all the time. It's my pleasure. And for the small guys out there without the big multi-million dollar budgets, you don't have to spend big to think big. That's awesome. I'll see you in a few weeks, man. Thanks.